so at this time, I mean, in the late 60s, early 70s, you were writing. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, was it a pretty much at this point a private act, or did you tell people, I'm a poet and I'm going to... Well, that was always, coming with my background, I was always pretty hesitant to tell people. I still am, kind of. Uh, I told someone at breakfast today, but it was it gave me a little thrill, like, wow, that's dangerous. <laughs> uh, what will they do now? You know, it's the kind of thing where if I just were talking to somebody in passing, I wouldn't mention it, but if you knew me at all, you would, you would immediately be confronted with that's what I'm doing. Howard Robertson is a resident writer in the 2007 Jack Straw Writers Program. You're listening to him in discussion with program curator Matt Briggs. How did you start writing? Well, I was 17, and I, was, I grew up in a, a fairly typical mill town in the northwest full of lots of lumber mill workers and loggers and whatnot. And um, it wasn't exactly a supportive environment for artistic way of being. And I was trying real hard to conform and uh, be successful in the social structure. And then somehow I just I needed to learn to type. And at that time, it was so sexist that they just told me, you know, that's for girls, typing class. Just teach yourself. You'll have a secretary anyway. So I was off trying to teach myself how to type. And I just, it just started, uh, what can be wrong with the unstable throng that gathers around to see the man on the ledge way out on the edge who no longer cares to be? So those are the, it just popped out, this little <laughs> adolescent suicidal <laughs> theme. And, uh, and then from there, I just started writing and, and all of my attempts to appear normal crumbled away. Fortunately, it was my senior year. <laughs> and uh, and uh, then I just became sort of a strange marginal person wandering around writing stuff. Now you'll hear excerpts from Howard's live reading at Jack Straw Productions. This is a poem that I just wrote, and it's set at Mount Shasta, so imagine Paul's music and would go with it well. Night on the Balcony of the Chalet. Almost all of reality is not human is what strikes me again and mightily as Hope and I step outside onto the wide wraparound deck out amid these 40 acres at the end of the three-mile-long dirt road, far enough from all streetlights and other houses, so that with the lights of the chalet turned off, the stars in the unclouded and moonless night at this lofty altitude team, attracting our gaze heavenward toward the moment of the quasars before most of these elements were forged, toward the singularities at the end of time where matter's density and gravity's strength become infinite, toward the celestial manifestation of the cosmological constant of 10 to the minus 40th power, which is the parameter allowing the universe to be so extremely large and so incredibly old, toward the hot plasma bubble 300 light years across inside which we are situated now, out toward the 10 to the 11th power observable galaxies, each one containing 10 to the 11th power stars, and each being 10 to the 5th power light years in diameter, and also in distance from its nearest neighbor, toward the astounding interstellar medium consisting of widely varying temperatures and densities from a few degrees above absolute zero and a million atoms per cubic centimeter in the material clumps and raw filaments of the giant molecular clouds 
to several million degrees and a single atom per thousand cubic centimeters in the plasma phases. Toward the 41 explored orders of magnitude from half a billion light years huge to a hundredth of a proton tiny over every bit of which we find structure. And above all, toward the endless streaming of universal energy throughout cosmic cycles of creation and destruction on all scales from biosphere through galaxy to pluriverse in these nested hierarchies of self-organized systems whose persistent thermodynamic non-equilibrium naturally eradicates our ontological alienation and refutes the bleak metaphors of the clock universe, the universal heat death, and the eternal return. For life appears to be the intrinsic and intimate expression of absolutely all there is, so that dear hope regards the spectacle over us tonight and quotes, he thought he saw an elephant that practiced on a fife. He looked again and found it was a letter from his wife, to which I reply, here we observe the ineffabilities of our existence. Poof. <laughs> and I'll finish with the title poem from my new book, Bricolage of Kodagaishi. When wonderment, motivation, courage, and relaxation point to British Columbia, when I fly on Air Canada Jazz to stay at the Pinnacle Hotel on Vancouver's downtown waterfront, where from the 22nd floor, the view across the sparkling harbor reaches to Grouse Mountain and Mount Seymour. When, on a showery early spring morn, I hike up the hill to the 2005 Annual Conference of the Association of Writers and Writing Programs. When in the Saturna Room of the Fairmont Hotel, I participate on the panel titled The Monumental Ego, Individualism and Scale in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> a session chaired by my current editor, Felix Blau of Threshold Books. When my former editor, Ted Baranski of Ramshead Press, asked from the audience whether fiction plays as important a role in poetry as in novels. When poet novelist Shelby Stave of the New School in New York City responds from the podium with a pugnaciously defensive post-structuralist denial that the question has any theoretical validity at all. When I strongly object, asserting that if I say I am a 57-year-old man from Oregon speaking at a microphone in Canada, this is a factual statement. But should I claim to be Prince Vlad Dracula, who has just immigrated from Transylvania's wilds to the Willamette Valley for love of a mortal woman, this would be quite fictional, I swear. When the angered Shelby leaps to his feet again and belligerently demands to know whether I'm calling him a liar, when I assume incorrectly that no panel member at a writer's conference would physically assault a colleague, <laughs> and so tell him calmly that, well, his poems do seem more invented after he begins to publish his novels, not that anything is wrong with that, when he approaches me on the dais and throws a right-hand punch straight at my jaw, when I introduce him to the surprising bricolage of Kodagaishi. I turn initially to agree with him that, oh yes, he is indeed attacking me, my extended left hand gripping his fist securely as I pivot offline until we harmonize side by side, moving the same direction. 
In this small crisis, my horror finding an opportunity to express the murkiness of stones, the utterance of whale calves and the great auks after millions of years, the throbbing of the big trucks in the Mojave night outside of Barstow, the polling of Caron as the dead watched the boat disappear across the black waters of Lethe, the pathos and random penumbra of chaotic angels waiting hip-deep in the energetic flux, the delicate crisscrossing beetle trails etched under the moist earth, the widening gyre in which the spirit bird hears the mystic center cry out fiercely as the ceremony of sophistication is disrupted, the bedappled heaviness hung everywhere in the imaginary trees, the spreading splendor growing on the revolving geoid-like thriving moss, the transcendental self-forgetting in which one becomes a giant and a mask and the accoutrement of origin, the human needs and urges that have no more changed after a myriad of years than have the hooked beaks of eagles, the devotion to the many pleasures of peace of autonomy, of agoraphobia, of a lounging in reverie as long as I please on a plush red couch. Oh, the delights of tranquility are immense and inexhaustible. And then I turn again to lead in the opposite direction, stepping away and taking his balance, folding his hand against his wrist so his elbow will break if he does not fall precipitously to the ground like Nebuchadnezzar supine and surprised and gnashed grass the peripatea of ancient pedigree, the bewildering reversal of situation that the divine afflatus mysteriously effects, the elate whirling of semi-leonine cherubim with flaming sword beside the gates of paradise, the sacred spinning at the swivel point of the kinetic cosmos, the spiraling up an ironic staircase unto the shadowy yet radiant agency of universal grace, the reversion to live with animals, so authentic and unified, not one of them making me sick with the aggressive misuse of theory, so that I whispered to my assailant, the compelling fact has pinned you to the floor, my friend, and the compassionate fiction will set you free, persuading him to rise with me and exclaim triumphantly, rota fortunae, as if actors ending a performance in expectation a faithful applause. This podcast was produced by Jack Straw Productions as part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2007 curator of this program is Matt Briggs. Music performed by the Bird Tribe Orchestra and recorded as part of the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are Mo Preventure and Tom Stiles. Arts Programs Manager is Van Deep. Narrator is Michelle Kazak. And Executive Director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, Poncho, the Mayor's Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture, King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.